Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What is up on a Wednesday? I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. A little out of order this week as Weldon Rodenberg is back from his uh, European excursion. We got into some airline complaints, a weird bar he went to in Portugal, I think. And then, of course, the first two games of Ole Miss' season, his thoughts on the quarterback battle, and a non-soccer corner at the end, as the Premier League really hasn't done anything since the death of whatever the Queen's name was. Um, Anyway, uh, but we did get into uh, a little bit of his experience at a Spanish La Liga soccer game. So a little bit of a different soccer corner this week, but a good conversation nonetheless. Glad to have Weldon back in the uh, co-host chair talking some football as we'll get back to our normal Sunday show uh, just in time for the Rebels' first real opponent in Georgia Tech. We're also going a little out of order this week because Ryan Buchanan is uh, hobnobbing it at an insurance conference in San Diego. So uh, he is across the country. We just got dudes moving left and right across uh, each uh, stratosphere here uh, on the Rippy Rights podcast. So Buchanan will be back Wednesday night. I'll get him something. I'll record with him on Thursday for something on Friday. Maybe we have a quarterback announcement by then, and uh, it works out that way. Uh, so that's the reason for our uh, non-normal order this week. And then I've actually got a bonus pod for you guys coming on Thursday. So plenty of uh, plenty of content to decipher from over the next couple of days as the Rebels prepare for Georgia Tech. So good conversation with Weldon. Before we get to that, though, I wanted to remind you, the podcast is brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, Glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval and Advanced Modeling Mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. If you're sitting here listening to this on a Monday morning, avoiding the man asking you to square up, you need Skybox. They're the only ones that are going to lead you to profit in the long run. Their method is proven. They go based off the math, not a lean. They have 20 minutes before a kickoff. You need to check them out. They're going to have a picks package to w- it with that fits your price range. That's uh, month-long week-long, season-long. Hell, you can even try it for a day. I'd recommend just signing up for the year-long all-access pass and profit with Skybox. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Use the promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E. That'll get you 20% off. The NFL's back. How about that? I enjoyed watching Red Zone for seven hours. You would enjoy it more if you were winning money with Skybox. So check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Podcast is also brought to you by MIMS Insurance. Matt MIMS, independent insurance agent there based in Oxford, gas is expensive right now. Everything's expensive. You don't want to be losing money just because you don't understand the insurance process and how to go about getting the best possible rate. That's where Matt Mims comes in. He's an independent insurance agent all across the state of Mississippi. He's based in Oxford, but he can get you insured anywhere across the Magnolia State. All you have to do is call him at 601-218-7854. And he's going to shop your quote around to 10 different independent insurance or 10 different agencies, I should say. And his whole job is to find you the best possible quote. Boom. Takes care of the hassle right then and there. If you're looking to get something insured, whether it's a house, a boat, congrats on the sick boat, maybe a plane. I don't know. Maybe it's life insurance. I don't know what you people have going on. All you have to do is call Matt Mims. He takes the hassle out for you, handles everything, comes back with the quote, and boom. You know you've saved money. You know you got the best possible uh, rate for whatever it is you're trying to get insured. And there's no hassle. And that is uh, his whole job. So check him out. Matt Mims, independent insurance agent there based in Oxford. All right. Here is Weldon Rodenberg. All right. 
back with a uh, new um, I was about to say French accent, Spanish accent. He spent some time overseas. It's Weldon Rodenberg. He is back from his European vacation slash scouting trip. We are uh, here outside of our normal Sunday slot as a jet lag. Weldon is here to check back in. How is the trip, my man? Um, what's been happening? Uh, not too much. Uh, I'm starting to feel <laughs> a little tired, uh, but slept well, tried to get through it all. Uh, the trip was great. Um, it was, it was a ton of fun. Of course, it always happens where the most busy you're at work wise ends up, you know, coexisting with <laughs> you leaving on an international trip. So that was kind of, uh, tough to deal with, but we had a great time. Um, happy to be back though. Um, but like we were talking right before here, had quite, uh, an experience on the flight on the way back that like, I, I'm a, I have a lot of like airport pet peeves. And a few people on this flight just knocked almost all of them out of the park. So it was something else. <laughs> Let's go ahead and get into them. It's not like we're breaking down a game here like our normal Sunday. We'll bounce around, talk some football stuff, and kind of get you back up to speed. But let's let's start with the important stuff. Well, who screwed up on an airplane? So there's always, like, these unwritten rules on flights i feel like you know if you're in you know the middle seat you know you get the the two armrests um you know, there, there's just a ton of different things and on an international flight uh so the flight we took back home is from is from barcelona to atlanta it's like it's like a 10-hour flight and we were you know in the main cabin and my fiance and i are, are in the four middle seats so we're on the two and the, the two on the end of the four if that can if you can visualize that so it's it's two four two plane. So the girl directly on our row that has the window seat decided that she was going to keep the window open for the entire flight. So, so you can't sleep. So like it's directly in your eye view. And I mean, the poor girl sitting next to her, like they were not friends. They didn't know each other. She has got her sunglasses on, her hoodie on her mask on and then like she got her blanket over herself just to attempt to sit there and sleep. And like this girl just seemed completely oblivious to the fact that, you know, not only is she affecting the girl next to her, but she's affecting me, my fiance, our entire row, the people in front of her, because you get the glare from the window in the back and then the people behind her, because you can, I mean, you're affecting 15, 20 people on the flight and she just did not give a shit the entire time. Did anyone ask her? That's too long of a fight not to just be like, hey, like, you know, put it down. I thought about it, but honestly, like nothing makes me more scared than getting into like an altercation on a flight. Yes. Because then everyone's involved and you're in close quarters and like, that's just not what I'm going to do. You know, I'm not the most confrontational person. I mean, I gave her a lot of very, you know, like side eye look. I make sure to make eye contact a few times, but I'm not, I I just, it's not like me to stand up and say something about it. I thought about it. Um, I couldn't do it. And then of course, included with that was the fact that, you know, I'm not a, a huge COVID guy, but, we were just noticing on the flight, people around us, I mean, are just coughing their lungs out. <laughs> and, you know, my fiance, like, kind of nudged me. was like, are you listening to this? And all of a sudden, for the next, like, 20 minutes, there was, like, four people in our area who were just, like, coughing, sneezing, coughing, coughing. And I'm like, look, man, if you're going to be doing this, like, 
that's where I'm like, you know, maybe you should wear a mask or like <laughs> maybe cough into your shirt or do something or like take a NyQuil or six Xanax and just fall asleep. Like, I don't know what to tell you to do, but it was, it was not a great flight on the way back. And I fully and totally understand why people shell out the cash for business in first class. You don't deal with that shit up there. You know, they, they, they handle that <laughs> much better than they do back in row like 37 or whatever we were on because um, it, it, it got pretty bad. <laughs> I'm not a, I've obviously, I've never bought a first class ticket. I've never actually been upgraded. I've never sat first class, but I've also never been on one of the flights that you've been on. I've never been to Europe. I've left the country, but I've never done the seven, eight, nine hour flight, whatever it is to Europe. I've heard the one time where it's kind of like almost not, I wouldn't say necessary, but super like convenient to have like the upgraded business class is on a yeah. flight like that. Like you're mentioning, I've yes. always heard that thing. That's not the same thing as like, Oh really? You know, this asshole paid 1200 bucks to go from Memphis to Dallas just to get like, you know, a nicer seat type of thing. Look, if you can afford sure. all, 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 I'm not shaming anyone for doing first class. I've just never done it. I've always heard it's a much different story on flights like that. And it sounds like that that needed to be the case. Look, I don't know if I'd have said something to her because I'm with you, right? Like you're in for the long haul. You don't want to be in an altercation, but I would just be like to the rows behind me. I'd be like, does anyone have cataracts? Because steer clear of this row, um, you know, the UV rays are rough up here. No, I mean, and then so she like falls asleep and the stewardess notices that she falls asleep, goes over, reaches over her, and pulls the window shade down. What a hero. So, we, so for like, you know, oh, not not totally, because for like 30 or 45 minutes, everyone finally, like, you can just see people just like sit back in their seat, like, oh my God, like, you know, it's dark, like, it's not that dark outside because you're going this direction. So it's really light outside for the majority of the flight, almost the entire flight. Uh, but then, of course, she wakes back up, kind of, you know, figures her stuff out and then just opens it up again. <laughs> like totally not getting the hint, not even attempting to consider oh. it, you know. And then Elizabeth was like, well, no, maybe she has like real flight anxiety. What and is that, my response. What blinding people going to do to cure that? Right. Like she needs to look outside at, you know, 15,000 feet to make her feel better. Like I, don't, I, I didn't really understand that either. I'm like, well, you know, I will provide her four Advil PMs to knock her out until she gets home. Like I, I'll do whatever she needs, but they really like, I mean, it ruined the fight, but it was damn near close. And it, it was, it sucked. I, I, it really, really sucked. Not that there's ever an appropriate scenario in which I would smuggle Xanax onto a plane, but if the flight attendant was on the uh, same page, I'd have just been like, look, orange juice, half guy, just give it to her. Yeah, you know what's happening here. <laughs> Dude, I won't spend too much on the flight complaints, but I just I, I have the same ones. The ones that bother me are, one, when I'm in a window seat, I'm actually kind of a nerd in some senses. Like, if the conditions are right, like nighttime, I actually kind of like looking out the window when we land and stuff like that. It's cool. Absolutely. When it's bright outside and you're clearly ruining when everyone else's time, I'm shutting it. Even if I want it open, I'm not dealing, like, I'm not putting everyone else out like that. And I'm not exactly Mother Teresa for doing it either. It's just kind of common sense that it's blinding all these other people. And then the other one that gets me is, from the beginning of time since they started deboarding flights, I bet the Wright brothers did this. It is single file getting off the plane. The people, and I get it, the rare exception, if you're panicked about a connection and you need to get to the front of that sucker, okay. But the dudes that just get up, 
I, I say dudes, people that just get up, all, all the above, and mosey yeah. up nine rows, and then the ones that are still behind you, and then try to cut you off when you're trying to get out. It's like first time on an airplane. Like what? Are, what are we doing here? You sit down, yeah, yeah, until it's your row to get up, and then you get up. If you need to stretch your legs, I get it. When it's time for your row to go, sit back down and pop, follow the procedure. Like I, I, I don't have time for this. It's just it it blows my mind. And then I've had a couple in the last two months. I've had two people ask to switch seats with me because the person they oh no 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 oh no 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 it's like <laughs> that, can my wife sit here and I'm like can I see your ticket absolutely not like <laughs> have you ever seen the Family Guy uh, there's like a Family Guy skit where like Brian and Stewie are sitting on the flight and someone comes up and it's like hey you know my wife is you know back in that seat like you think we could switch and then Stewie just goes you know your poor planning does not constitute an emergency for me. Like go sit down. <laughs> and that's how I feel. I've never been in that scenario in a younger age. I might have, you know, obliged that person. Now I, I travel like quite a lot, you know, for work, life, whatever. I would never switch seats unless I'm getting the better seat or it's like not a significant difference, maybe a row. If it's like a significant difference, Go, go sit down like yeah. that's not if you know if you don't know how to book a flight correctly there's almost no scenario where you should be booking a flight where you can't sit together like it's almost impossible these days figure it out yes absolutely absolutely and if you don't know how to book a flight properly it's actually scarier that you were legally allowed to drive to the airport and get it. i think it's too easy to get a driver's license that's a rant we did one time for another day but yeah luckily both of these were out of aisle <laughs> <laughs> window to window so i finally was like all right i'll do it but it's just like really like why are you asking me this this is an hour and a half flight like y'all can't spend an hour and a half apart I, it just drives me nuts and then i'm trying to think of there's i had one more but off the top of my head i can't think of it anymore but i swear to god oh i've got a few oh i've got a few one is like when you're boarding a plane uh these days this is why i don't like flying southwest because they just sit you in your line yeah. and you know you've got like the one through 30 and the whatever and you know of course people are just lying their ass off and getting on but in you know most other airlines it's you know first class business class and then you know zone one two three and you know that's that the amount of people these days that just like completely ignore that concept and just go up there with their zone two ticket and board with first class is amazing to me. And like the, the people at the, at the gate are like, Hey, are you fucking paying attention? Like <laughs> we're boarding business class right now or we're hey, boarding you know, comfort plus or whatever. Like there's a reason why people pay the extra money or have accumulated the miles. So they get the board first. Like, get in the back of the line, you dumbass. And, like, they have to tell it to 10, 15 people. It's, like, every flight I've been on. Because, like, I've, I've got a bunch of United points because of just work. Because that's the Houston thing. The Houston uh, hub is United. So, every time I fly for, for business, I'm, I'm on United. And I've gotten to the point where I'm, like, the first boarding group every time. Not necessarily first class, but the first boarding group. Every single flight I'm on, there's two or three people in front of me who are, like, you know, on seat 59 that are like boarding the flight with, you know, the first class group. And we're just like, it sounds like a third world problem, but it's just so frustrating because now you've backed everyone else up. They start asking questions. You're like, just what are we doing here? It's also, it's more the principle. It's like, what else does this guy not get? Like, how does he order in line at fast food places and things like that? It's I'm American because obviously coming from Dallas and back it's American hub Southwest is in love field, but they don't ha usually have direct flights to Memphis and vice versa for whatever reason. So 
Like Southwest keeps it pretty efficient, but that yeah. that bothers the ever living hell out of me too. Like people just not understanding the process. The people that don't that like at one point, if you're if a security guard in the uh, line is having to tell you, sorry, you can't bring food in, you have to throw that away or a water bottle. It's like get this guy off the plane. What like how do you not know that at this point? Like you know, nine eleven was twenty one years ago, man. Like you, you figured you might have picked up on something by then, but right. So it's amazing. Before we get to the football, you got to tell me how the trip was. How was how was, Portugal? You went to Spain. We went to a soccer match. How was uh, how was the trip? Yeah, no, I mean it was it was so much fun. Uh, we've been planning it for a while, and you know, COVID just kind of like we had a few other trips, and they all kind of got canceled or delayed to a certain point. And finally, we're like, you know, we're doing it. We're going. We scheduled it, bought the flights, and did everything. Uh, we started off in Lisbon, uh, which was you know, a place I've always wanted to go because I've heard such, it's like a, it's like the perfect place for people like me who are, you know, shouldn't actually be going to Europe because it's too expensive to go there. Um, it's, it's a, it's a really cool city. It's not an expensive city at all. Um, it's got everything you really want. It's, it's unique. There's really cool bars, really fun areas, great food. And all of it is, you know, incredibly affordable. And uh, we actually had some friends who were on their kind of post honeymoon uh, kind of deal. So we saw them and hung out with them for a night or two. Uh, we actually went to this bar. This was, this was a crazy, crazy place. Uh, so our friends were on a tour and their tour guy told about this like Chinese tea uh, late night bar. You know, you kind of go there and you order your tea and you kind of drink, you know, after you order your tea, you, sit there and you drink and hang out and it's got, you know, pool tables. It's kind of like a speakeasy. So we go there and the bar is like surrounded with these kind of casings and all these glass casings have these figurines in them. And they're all like, you know, historical figurines, you know, like Revolutionary War, Civil War, World War II, World War One, And it's a bunch of little planes hanging around it's really really cool and i wish i could show you pictures to kind of get feel where you're at and you know all the seats are you know like little booths and there's these really just nice old wooden bars and they've got all the really cool liquor and pool tables it was just a really cool place and we start looking around at all of them and then notice that like two or three of the cases just have a lot of little Nazi figurines. <laughs> oh, and I was like, okay, you know, like what, you know, one set of, you know, Nazis, another part of history. Like, I get that. And then we start looking around a little bit more and like, okay, there's two sets of Nazi, you know, little war figurines. That's a little interesting. And then we go That's to this for other part of the bar and it's got all the helmets like, Oh, more Nazi helmets. <laughs> like it's kind of getting to a point where maybe, you know, two little Hitler figurines is probably two more than you need. And it was just really bizarre. The waiters were kind of assholes. We're like, are we in some sort of, you know, place we shouldn't be? Because <laughs> there's a lot of prop, uh, memorabilia here that maybe we're like glorifying history a little much here in Portugal. Because you know, I don't know my history too well, but Portugal and Spain weren't necessarily allies, not necessarily Axis either. So maybe this is a, you know, a, a safekeeping for some uh, unlikable people. But uh, it was really cool besides that. <laughs> that is wild. I don't know what you guys walked into without getting way too off in the weeds here. But like, I imagine both of those places were somewhat havens for uh, probably Nazi expats. And so like, um, 
um, Colombia was actually one too. Actually, the co-founder of the Medellin cartel. I've been on a huge cartel reading kick. Carlos Leyva oh, yeah. bought the Bahamian island to fly all the drugs there. Um, oh yeah. He's jury. He's the dual. He's actually out of prison now and kind of living on hospice or in assist, not hospice, assisted care in Germany. Cause his dad was actually a Nazi. And if you're born in Germany, you're just a German citizen. So this dude's actually Colombian German and lives in Germany now. Cause obviously he'd probably get killed if he went back to Colombia. Eighties were a long time ago. I think, feel like probably people still remember some stuff. So I don't know, maybe it was just like a Nazi ex ad, but uh, that was uh that was Nazi corner. Um, Let's. <laughs> that sounds pretty cool, though. I uh, I got to do one of those European trips. I've never really been over there on, at all, um, and I I know MC wants to as well. We'll save the uh, soccer match for soccer corner at the end. On the American yeah. uh, on the American football side of things, the Ole Miss Rebels are two and zero. I would say you missed a lot. In some ways, you did, but at the same time, I think the general deduction about how I feel about this team on this post-game show on Saturday night was I don't know shit about this team. We didn't discuss this beforehand. I'm not putting you on the spot. Did you watch any? How much were you keeping up? Like, what what kind of knowledge do you have of what's going on here? I, today, went through on YouTube and found both the games. And I kind of – I stayed up a little bit for the Troy game. It started at, like, 1 o'clock my time, but I was still a little jet-lagged at that point. So I stayed up and watched, like, the first quarter. But today I went back, and I've kind of – read as much as I can, and I, I kind of watched both games. I didn't actually even watch the defensive side of the ball against Central Arkansas. I watched, like, strictly the offense because uh, I didn't need to see the defense on that one. So, I'm, I would say I am pretty caught up on what is what is going on the past two weeks, as much as you can be for not, like, you know, being there or whatever. I just wanted to get the feel of it, which speaks to the sh- amount of show prep I do before we just get guys on air here. Same. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So we'll start there, though, because we have not spoken, in, I guess, since like kind of the week before the season, right before you left to go over there. What are your thoughts on the whole start one game, each guy starts the other thing? What were your thoughts on it? Um, I'll preface it with this. I was naturally skeptical for a number of different reasons, kind of what I'm actually in the process of writing about this for a newsletter. Of like, what can you actually prove in each one? Then I asked Buchanan, a guy that's kind of not, you know, to some degree been in a quarterback battle. And he was like, I loved it. I wish I could have had this. Like it frees both guys up to know that they have three quarters or, you know, basically the bulk of a game instead of worrying about, you know, how many possessions are we getting in a half or alternating drives and kind of the random nuances that you see in a game that actually you saw in both games, right? Like some of the Altmaier stuff against Central Arkansas got screwed up because Arkansas, Central Arkansas literally couldn't punt the ball. They kept blocking. Right. I look, you'll never convince me that Giffen wasn't like, hey, like, let the guy. You had to know he was pissed. You yes. had to know he was like. He kind of. You didn't even look happy on the sidelines when it <laughs> happened. He was like, God, like, <laughs> like some of that stuff. You don't have to worry about as much. Whereas if you only get a half or alternating drives, like whatever. So like, I get both sides of it. Where do you kind of fall on it? You know, it's rather unprecedented. Harbaugh's doing it. He made it more famous because of that weird biblical like quote that he had when he asked about it. Where do you fall on it? Yeah, I was actually literally going to bring up Harbaugh because. I wouldn't surprise Kiffin did it, but I think that Harbaugh kind of opened up the possibility of this being a normal thing, except for the fact that he like made a, you know, a press release about it and everything. You didn't have to say it, you know, you could just do it and people would be like, Oh, okay. No, this is what's happening. Um, I think it's fortunate for Ole Miss that they were able to do it because they played two you know, football teams. They were going to beat no matter what. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, I was a little surprised. I think it's actually looking back on it, I think it's a fine idea. Um, of course, I'm sure we'll talk about it. It seems like it's not necessarily over, which I have kind of a different opinion on. Uh, but I, I'm not su- necessarily even surprised that he did it. I think it's it was probably the right thing to do to at least have both quarterbacks feel like they've given they've both been given a real and true shot at it. Um, so, I mean, I think it worked out as well as it could. Of course, it looks like Luke may or may not be injured after some of it. Um, I, I think what's going forward, the fact that we still haven't gotten one announced as like the starter, I, I think it's getting into a very weird area that I, I don't really totally know how to explain right now. Yeah, that's um. we'll go ahead and get to that piece of it, because I know you mentioned that like, kind of thinking something different. I think we're on the same page there. Um, I think it's kind of over and I'm not sure it's actually been a. This is just a hunch, and it's not based on anything I know or have heard, that it maybe wasn't a 50-50 clean slate coin flip type deal in the first two games either. I think we may be arrived at this point because I think Kiffin kind of knows that Dart has a higher ceiling and wanted him to kind of grab the job by the neck and say, this is mine, and that didn't happen for – a multitude of reasons. Um, I, I wrote a story on Jackson and kind of all the stuff that he's gone through already from a football standpoint, a lot of life changes, a lot of football changes. And so because that has not happened yet, I think Kiffin went with this to hopefully maybe gain some clarity in a way, but also just kind of be fair because neither guy had blown it out of the water. Because at the same time, I'm still not sure there's – we definitely, in a public-facing standpoint, don't have as much clarity. And so without getting too lost in my own thoughts, I guess my point being is I think he did this partially out of fairness and partially maybe to gain some clarity, but he knows who his guy is. He just hasn't received the kind of over-the-top confirmation that he wanted. But I, I think he knows who's playing on Saturday in at Atlanta, and I think that man is Jackson Dart. Injury aside with Luke, by the way, just you could throw that out the window and I would still think sure. the same thing. Yeah, I mean, my only guess on why this has continued the way it has, and Kiffin kind of mentioned it in his press conference. I don't have the quote up here, but he was talking about how, like, you know, they haven't totally gathered themselves in the two minute, and there's been kind of some, you know, inconsistencies on that end and kind of, you know, getting plays in and going fast. My best guess, completely uneducated, is that Dart is is the better quarterback, and you know Kiffin knows that. And he's seen it athletically and arm strength wise, and you know upside. Like he he is the guy, but it may be a situation where he just has not grasped this offense to a point that it's like uncomfortable for Kiffin to be playing him as a starting quarterback but his talent is just so much better than Luke's. That's what's really kind of kept him in this race, if not winning it. Whereas Luke, like, just doesn't have the upside, the arm talent, the athleticism, but he knows this offense to a T. And there's that comfort level that Kiffin has. Like, okay, we can go fast. We can do what we need to do. But we're probably not going to get the high-end, you know, explosive plays with Luke. But we're going to be run at a more efficient level and maybe that's what's keeping him grappling with this decision. I mean, if he can evaluate quarterbacks, he knows what he's seeing. And, you know, everyone's saying it themselves. But, I mean, 
I think even people like Siski and I and others that have watched, you know, tape and have been able to evaluate it before at a different level know that Jackson is the better player. Obviously, I have not seen practice, so maybe Luke is just showing something in practice he's yet to show in a game before, which is, you know, possible that he just plays better or whatever. Uh, but my best guess is why he just hasn't ended this is because of that, is because of Jackson's just knowledge of the offense might be at a level where it's like really scary for him and Charlie to put him in games and trust him fully, even though the talent is, is pretty clearly there, if it, even though it may be raw, of course. That's a great point. And honestly, I thought I'd covered all angles of this nearing exhaustion, but I really hadn't thought about it from that sheer standpoint of just and for people out there listening, it's not that he doesn't like know the offense. Like when you say no, 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 offense, no, no. there's there's knowing what to do, but there's also knowing how to do it in game action, right? It's not yes. Like, I feel like some people that maybe aren't because I know what you're talking about, but I imagine some people maybe out there listening are thinking of it as, wow, he doesn't know all of the plays. Like, no, that's not the case. It doesn't know – he's no. not comfortable enough with it yet to run the offense. There's one thing to know what to do on the paper, and there's another thing to be able to process that in a very, very small amount of time and actually run it, right? It's right. It's not like – yeah, it's not like Dart's out there, you know, and, you know, they're singling in an outside zone play and Dart's looking at the sideline like, what yeah. the hell is that play? Like, right. that's not what's going on. But it may be a situation where you're running an RPO and you've got, you know, trips to the side and it's three versus two and Dart doesn't see it. So he hands it off to the back for a four-yard gain and Kiffin's over there, like, with his hands, like, what the fuck? Like, you know, take the ball out and throw it to Mingo. Look who's over there. And honestly, I saw a play against Troy where that exact same thing happened. You know, Troy, it's like three V, it's like two V three out there and, you know, Dart doesn't even look at the receiver. He just hands the ball off to Judkins for three yards and, you know, for most people on first down, that might look like a good play, but they just got in a first down. He throws it out there. It might be a touchdown. You know, it's it's not him, like, looking over, seeing the play signal, and just being like, well, I don't know what to do. But it might be right. even more something like, you know, he gets it in, and then he doesn't call the correct offensive line, you know, call. So then they're blocking wrong. It makes them look bad. You know, and that's not – it could be – that could not be the case as well, of course. But this is just my guess – at what's going on and it's not from any inside sourcing but i do think there had that's got to be it or it's got to be something close to it because there is not a whole lot of other explanations to me that makes sense in my opinion no and to play that out further i think it's a great point because that's part of what we talked about with buchanan last week whereas so like after the first game, I did that Sunday show with Borky and that was when it was announced that, you know, they're going to do the one start versus one start thing. Like right? Neil reported that I think that Saturday morning. And so it kind of came out that day. So we were talking about on the Sunday show and just kind of fleshing out the idea. It wasn't necessarily like a for or against it thing. It was more just like, well, what can you actually tell against Troy? How do you evenly evaluate a Troy defense while it's a Sunbelt program that's rebuilding still has much better players and much better talent than central Arkansas. What can you actually tell and Buchanan smartly pointed out, and it alludes to what you're getting at, is a lot of what they're judging these guys off of is stuff that we are not going to be able to see in the stands. And that doesn't mean we don't, like, the, the fan out there doesn't know football or do, can't dissect what a play is on a given basis. It's the reads. It's the stuff you're talking about. It's the two versus three where you hand it off to Judkins and he gets six yards. You know, that's like, a, you know, when you're sitting in the stands, you're like, all right, they're in business. That was a good play. Whereas maybe the read was on the outside where you have three receivers versus two defensive backs and he shouldn't have thrown it out there. You know, I've said this 
if people listen to the last four shows, I've probably used the example five times, but Buchanan used the example of like the classic Bo Wallace, um, uh, what number six, Jalen, uh, anyway, Evan, Walton. yeah, sorry, Jalen Walton, I just blanked on that. The RPO that he was so good at, right? Hand it, keep it, or dump it to Evan Ingram. If Walton gets six yards, that doesn't mean that was the right read. Evan Ingram could have been wide-ass open, or you should have kept it, right? It's that type of decision-making, which is kind of what you're alluding to. I think it's a good theory. I don't know what else it could be at this point, and to kind of transition out of that part of it, from what you watch with those two games, I kind of came away with the same thing. It sounded like you did too, is that Luke Altmyer is not an untalented quarterback, but the top end ceiling for what Jackson Dart is and what made him, you know, blow up so quickly and become from not having a single power five offer to being the national Gatorade player of the year, that top end level talent is kind of showing even in the mistakes that he's made, right? Like Luke came out of the game and we'll get to the game two piece of it in a second where he was clearly compromised, right? He was clearly hurt. That what good decision, bad decision, the lack of mustard that was on that football, you could tell his shoulder or something was really yeah, wrong, right. But even beyond that, there just dart came in the game, and there were a couple throws that he made deep ball wise where it's like, does the other guy have that in him, right? There was a corner route that he threw to Trig on the sideline against Troy that dumped it right in there, and it's not to say Luke couldn't make that, but can he do that like Jackson did it a couple times and. I think that's kind of where I land in terms of what I've seen with these guys. And I'm not sure that's any sort of surprising revelation that I didn't think would happen before these two games took place, if that makes sense. Sure. No, no, I get that. And uh, yeah, I, I think it, it, it's a clear upside play with dart and, you know, maybe they still have to, you know, smoothen out some of these, I don't even want to call mistakes, just tendencies with him, whether it's understanding, it, you know, every single aspect of, of what they want him to do or, you know, just flowing with the offense a little bit more. Um, I, I think it's the call to make, and I don't know what's going on because I didn't think this would last three weeks. I didn't think it would last one week. I thought they'd maybe both get some playing time. Uh, but I, it just feels like there's something missing that we're not, you know, yeah. thinking about. And maybe, maybe what I'm saying is right. You know, of course, I don't even totally know what they're doing on offense, whether with the, all the reads are obviously because I'm not in there and I don't, you know, not some offensive, you know, guru or anything like that. Uh, but I just feel like there's something we're not seeing. There's something that's not being discussed. And that happens sometimes. Um, I know there's always been the talk of like the, you know, the Plumlee and Corral stuff and like, you know, why was Plumlee playing? It's like, well, there's a lot more to it. And, you know, I don't know if this is that case scenario, but there, there is more to this that us as fans are not seeing that's not happening on the field. And that does not necessarily mean it's an off the field issue. That's, I think it's absolutely not the case, but it might be a, in the classroom issue and not, not class, sorry, not the classroom in the film room issue yeah, yeah, in the yeah. prep issue. Yeah, I, I misspoke on that. In the in the prep film room issue, rather than an on the field deal. So I, I don't know. And um, I mean, I watched both games. Like I said, uh, I mean, I the Troy game was just a weird football game. Um, I mean, that was easily. I mean, was it was twenty eight to three. They were up, and then they kind of like you know, fizzled out in the second half or whatever. Um, I mean, they were in complete control of that game. And Dart, you know. He made a few, you know, missed throws and 
you know, overthrew some a little bit, kind of kind of needs to put some air under the ball a little bit, you know, some a few mistakes here and there. I mean, the offensive line is more of a concern to me than, than Dart has been or Luke in the past in the first two games. Um, that's a whole different conversation. But I, I just – I don't know. I mean, they're going to play on the road against Georgia Tech. That's not a good football team. But, you know, it's on the road against a Power 5 team. And like I said before, talking about previewing the season, Kiffin – teams haven't been great on the road so I think it will be a test to that to that extent but yeah this quarterback thing is weird it's it's pretty difficult to explain what's going on from the outside that would be kind of funny if it were a classroom thing to where it's like you know we really want to start, <laughs> yeah. but Robert Hunt says he just sucks at BCAL so we don't really know what to do with this <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's just it's just not working out you know we're, we're over here and we're just you know we, we haven't made good friends with our real estate teacher so we don't get straight a's on all of our tests it's it's really tough for uh for dart so far <laughs> i actually took robert hunt in the fedex building so maybe he has some ties with athletics who knows it could be anything out there but that leads me into like the kind of the evalu- talent evaluation part of it because you brought that up a second ago we talked about this before and you've actually talked about both guys on this podcast at length from when you were working in a recruiting office, you were very highly complimentary of Luke. I remember one of the things that always stuck out that maybe I didn't notice in real time, but once you pointed out was that he had kind of a shitty offensive line in high school and he was just a really tough, oh, yeah. he kept getting up and up again and kind of, you know, surviving despite it. And then with Dart, I remember you saying that USC kind of got in there early. Utah played three weeks early. And after I actually talked to his dad and kind of did that story on it and got a better understanding of it, when you guys were evaluating him, I I guess I never put two and two together that you could discover the kid, but he's a senior at Corner Canyon. And you're like, I don't understand. Like, what the hell is going on here? He doesn't have a power five offer. He blows up in that game against, I forget the school, but the nationally televised game that you've brought up before. How weird was that for you guys as like recruiting evaluators? You're like, wait a minute, actually, this kid's a senior. Like what, what was kind of the vibe the first time you laid eyes on him? Yeah. So we didn't have a quarterback committed at that point because Luke was still committed to Florida state. Um, so we're still evaluating guys and we're still talking. I think we had play on a board of like seven or eight guys and of those seven or eight, I think like all of them were committed elsewhere. We we're just trying to see what we could find if one would stick or, you know, we communicate with one. I think one of the guys was – is now like the starter at San Diego State. And there was a few pretty good players. And um, I remember showing him, and it was kind of one of those deals, like we kind of knew we were going to get Luke in the end. So we weren't super active on quarterbacks, even though we had a board. But it was kind of like, you know, we're going to go get Luke and this is going to happen eventually. Like, I just don't – we don't see him sticking over there. But – when we showed him, we were like, golly, like, you know, this kid's from Utah, but th- th- these first three games, like, we have to at least, you know, investigate further. Uh, I wouldn't say we really did much more than than that just because of the situation. I mean, I think he was committed to, like, Utah State or something. That was, like, his only offer. Um, even if he, if that even happened at that point, it, it was still pretty early. Um, and then and to add to that real quick, like, he mentioned the pandemic. It wasn't your normal recruitment. He mentioned not even no, SCT no. schools on the radar because one, it happened so fast, but two, that was a different world back then. People forget. Oh yeah. No, I mean, kids weren't even coming to campus. So you're just like making phone calls and seeing, you know, you know, just throwing darts and seeing what sticks. And, uh, I mean, it was really impressive. I mean, you're kind of like looking through and you're like, God, this kid has like three, like 
900 yards in, in two games. Like, what is going on here? And he pulled the film, and, you know, obviously he's not playing great competition, but it's like he has some, like, real velocity. And it's tough to kind of tell on film, but when you see it, you see it. And this kid absolutely had it. And uh, he was pretty athletic. And, honestly, some of the running plays he's made in the first two games, I, I probably didn't give enough credit for how athletic he really is. Um, he, he can move pretty well, um, it's at least north and south-wise. Yeah, so, I mean, he, he was on the, the board-ish. But honestly, at that point, like I mentioned earlier, we were, you know, Luke was the guy, our guy. We were pretty confident in it. Levy liked Dart and Holacek, who was the GA, who's now at Oklahoma with him, liked him as well. But we, we were kind of past that point, and, um, which is difficult, you know, senior, three games in, you know, starting to get real offers. You know, he's from Utah at that point. It was like, yeah, I don't think we're really going to move too far forward with it. But just from an evaluation standpoint, yeah, everyone really liked him. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting story, and like the uh, I feel like some of the this has almost become like weirdly tribal in some ways amongst like the fan base. Like I just like look at the message board commentary and just kind of gauge it somewhat based off of that. Um, and like at the same time, like I don't know what people expected from these first two games. Like I guess everyone is so used to watching Matt Corral for the last you know twelve months on their television or the last twelve games. Um, that the drop-off was probably kind of stark. I mean, look, there was no world that that was going to be fully satisfying going from Dart and Altmaier to – I mean, going from Corral to Dart and Altmaier. I thought they did some good things. I thought they did some bad things in both starts. But, again, I just don't know what you can tell from it. On the Altmaier-specific side of it, he clearly got hurt at some point in that second quarter, and it compromised him. I thought he did some nice things um, in like, before he got hurt. But the other part of it was is I felt similar to Dart's first half where it was like, I don't really know how to evaluate this. They kept blocking punts. Mingo made a great catch on a drastically overthrown ball over just kind of an inferior corner. Like, Did, did you feel like you learned anything about Luke Altmaier that you didn't already know in that tiny sample size? Absolutely not. And I, I can't even sit here for 10 minutes and try to make up some evaluations for you because, I mean, yeah, he ran the offense efficiently and he handed it off to two really good running backs a lot and, you know, made some decent throws. But, no, he, he didn't learn anything off of off of uh, Central Arkansas and any or anything that leads towards you having an idea of where this quarterback battle is going. No, not at all. Yeah, I'm in the same way. And so that kind of leads us in this weird middle ground, right? Like the Buchanan case of like, all right, well, they're going to learn some stuff that we don't know about. But at the same time, in terms of general clarity – like, did you get any? And I almost wonder if that was even the point. Like, was it more so to just, I have a hunch, let's be fair. Like, this is a fair way to do it. It gives them, both of them, a fair shot. But, you know, if we're in this boat of, like, we still don't know, then he probably just ends up going with his hunch. Maybe the maybe the um, injury does it by default. I think Altmaier has practiced the last two days. I don't know what really goes into that. That was kind of weird in its own right. They put out a bizarre media relations announcement that said he got pulled because of the pick, not because of injury. Then that was immediately corrected. There, there was a weird half hour there when that game was going on. Of course, I'm not up there anymore, but I quickly got a text about it and was like, I don't understand this. But I just wonder if, like, you know, he ends up just kind of going with the hunch like we kind of all thought in the first place without actually getting any real clarity about it. Yeah, I mean, I don't anticipate – Altmaier playing in this game unless uh, Dart really just really struggles. I, I think it's Darts, and I think uh, he's still trying to figure it out clearly because he doesn't really mislead media 
very often. Like he, he's pretty truthful um, with most things that he says. He's pretty honest. You know, he's not giving away trade secrets or anything like that, but he, he usually speaks his mind and there's, there's a lot of stuff you can kind of take at face values, but I do think it'll be Dart. And I think it'll be him for the whole game and hopefully kind of slowly but surely get him comfortable with where they would like for him to be at. That's my guess. We'll get back to Weldon Rodenberg in just a second, but before we do, wanted to take a quick break to remind you the podcast. It's brought to you by our friends at BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a proven full-service online therapy uh, service that will help you find a uh, help you get in touch with a licensed therapist within 48 hours. Uh, you can go on camera. You can just talk to someone. You don't have to go face-to-face if you want to. Therapy is just like anything else. We put gas in our cars. We get the tires changed. We do regular maintenance on it. There's no different than going to the doctor for a checkup. Uh, how our brain performs affects the way we live. You want to make sure your brain is performing at a peak capacity. And that's why therapy is great. Sometimes it's just nice to talk to someone, uh, get whatever you got on your chest off of it, and uh, free up some uh, and get in a better mental place. So check them out, betterhelp.com. Use the promo code MPW and you get 20% off. The podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. Go see my man, Greg. If you're Rippy Wright subscriber, that's rippywrights.substack.com. Get a free newsletter from me as well as discounted meats. Right now it's a 16 ounce prime strip for 20 bucks and a $5 pack of sausage. Go check, show him proof of subscription. He'll get you hooked up with that. Then go find your own favorites at LB's. Oxford's so lucky to have a place like LB's. We've got the picks coming back this week. Uh, as Greg the Meat Sharp Jones returns, go see him. Go grab a juice stick for your dog. I saw he had those going. Um, but go check him out and find your own favorites. LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. All right, back to Weldon Rodenberg. Just kind of looking elsewhere. I mean, I guess we'll kind of see on Thursday, and obviously we'll react to it on Sunday. But is there anything else that's kind of stuck out about this team? I know you went mostly offense. You can't learn a ton about the defense, but I know one of the guys that stood out so far to me is um, Coleman from TCU. He's yeah, really fast. He's by the line of scrimmage a lot. I don't know if he necessarily plays the same role as Jake Springer, but it seems like he's utilized a lot in that way where he's just kind of that guy that's disruptive in the backfield. Um, does he draw any parallels? Do you remember him as a prospect at all? He's just – I know he was kind of – like I wouldn't say he went under the radar of the transfers, but it was like, oh, they got this kid, but the focus was on linebacker, rightly so. And this guy stood out through two games pretty, uh, pretty quickly. No, yeah, he's looked really, really good. I actually – I remember him very, very well as a prospect. Uh, I remember watching him when he had no offers uh, because he's from New Orleans, and I, I would always, you know, skate through Louisiana because I, I was very biased <laughs> towards those guys. Um, I remember showing him – and um, I, I probably showed him a little too early. Uh, I showed his junior or, like, sophomore, junior stuff, and at that point, like, he was an undersized defensive end, but he had, like, some serious burst um, for a kid playing uh, where he was at, and he was just always undersized, and I think TCU had him playing an outside backer, and, uh, you know, for what they were doing on on defense and their scheme, it probably made sense for for him to do that because he did it in high school, and you know, he clearly has the speed and agility to do it. And I think now that we've kind of got him playing off the ball, he's being able to show a little bit more versatility. He's incredibly physical. He is super, super, super fast. I mean, he's got real, real speed at that position. Um, probably hasn't been challenged too much, you know, in the open field yet by the first two teams. And you may see that a little bit more, especially if they decide that he's going to be the guy that spies Jeff Sims because – 
you know, Georgia Tech is not, is not a good football team, but Jeff Sims, that quarterback, he's a pretty good athlete. So there's going to be some sort of spy. We'll see if he can handle that. But, yeah, he's he's been really, really impressive so far. And he's listed as a defensive end, right, when he came through or to some or kind of that tweener defensive end hybrid thing, whereas, like, Springer was more in the secondary. But they're not the same – like they're not very different height and weight wise, just based off of what they're listed on the roster. What kind of goes into that? Cause he's a guy that played by the line of scrimmage. Obviously they're trying to kind of teach him more of the traditional linebacker technique, but he's sort of a similar size to Springer. Like how does that kind of compute if that makes any sense? Yeah, I guess they're different sizes, but you know, you can be similar height and weight, but be completely different players. I mean, Springer was really kind of like a, an off the ball safety, strong safety kind of guy. Um, Coleman seems to be more of like a like a will linebacker, like really straight up linebacker. And yeah, he lines up on the edge sometimes, depending on what they're playing. Uh, Springer was a little bit more fluid, which is why you could kind of play him in coverage here and there, even though it wasn't his strength. Whereas uh, Coleman seems to be really kind of like a north south downhill guy, just with real speed. Um, I kind of I was trying to think of a comp. I can't think of one off the top of my head of of who Coleman plays like, but uh, he, he's been really, really impressive, but kind of a different build. He's a little more top heavy where Springer was a little more low cut kind of a guy, which is in you know, terms for just like really just the body type of the, of the, of the athletes top heavy, you know, probably a little more higher waisted, but like really strong upper body and Stringer looks more like a, kind of like a Jamal Adams body type where like he, he's just kind of, he's fully, developed and not uh super uh what's the word i'm looking for he's just more of a fluid athlete whereas coleman probably is a little bit more in a box of what you can do with them but uh they're they're both i see what you're saying but uh different kind of players different types of players yeah no that was a good description particularly kind of using the two things right they can be like similar height and weight but that doesn't necessarily mean they're the same like frame or player in some ways because i actually i was bringing that up to I can't remember which show we were doing uh, in between week one and week two, but I looked it up like height and weight thing. Cause I'm bad about, that's another thing. I know you guys in the eval world, that's kind of ingrained in you. What does this kid weigh? What's his height? Whereas like, I don't know, just looking at it from a media angle, I was always bad about like, Oh, like that guy's good. Cause you know, he's six, four two fifty or something. Absurd. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a kind of a common, mis- not necessarily a misconception, but body type is, is really more important than height and weight. Uh, I mean, you got a guy like, I mean, this is the only extreme case, but I mean, Michael Parsons and DK Metcalf, I I don't know what their height and weight are like this exact second, but I can't imagine they're that far off. I mean, those two guys couldn't be more different. Obviously they play on different sides of the ball, but they do completely different things. Uh, I mean, AJ Brown is probably six, one and a half two twenty-five, and you can go on the other side and find a linebacker six one and a half two twenty five, but they they're completely different kinds of football players. Um, and then if you want to even look at you know height and weight for the same kind of position, you know, for an offensive lineman, you could have two guys that are six five, you know, two eighty, but one guy's got thirty inch arms and one guy's got thirty you know three inch arms, and that's why he's playing guard and that why that guy's playing you know tackle. It, it's there's a lot more that goes into it than just height and weight. You've got, you know, where's he cut off at? Is he high cut? Is he low cut? Arm length? What's his shoulder width? Can he grow more or does he get to lose weight? There's a ton. I mean, 
this this scout for the Steelers came by. He's kind of like a legendary guy. He actually just recently retired, and he he's one of the awesome scouts who would come by and pass out all the recruiting guys' packets. And he's like, hey, like you know, this is kind of what the Steelers use to look at different players. And you know, this is an A, B, C, D, F of what we look at, and here's kind of the parameters of what we look at. And uh, you know, there's so many different types of you know. What's his ankle thickness? What's his wrist thickness? How is that going to attribute to how he lifts weights and gains or loses weight? There's a ton that goes into it. Some would say that it's a little too much. And some people like to have every single variable, you know, set out in front of them. But yeah, I know what the, your comment is, but there's so many different types of, of athletes and, you know, in a weird way, different types of bodies. I'm still not necessarily sold on the linebacking core as a whole. Um, you know, Troy Brown's a little bit smaller. Austin Keys has done some nice things. Sistrunk's played seemingly okay, but I just kind of want to see them do it against the team. I think that'll really get tested against Kentucky, a team that's really going to run yes. out and come straight at them. And it's not that I don't necessarily believe they can do it. I would just like to see it first, right? Because you lost two good ones in Mark Robinson and Chance Campbell. And you it kind of along the the Kari Coleman role. Can he be like your typical? I know you mentioned like a will linebacker, but in this three two six thing, like with that type of frame, just from the limited you see, do you think he'll have any issues if it comes down to, let's just say, and I'm just spitballing here, Troy Brown and one of Troy Brown and Austin Keys? It's like, yeah, this is a little bit of a weak link. Say it's the other one and Kari Coleman. Like, could he be the second best inside linebacker on the team and play in that role? I think he can from a straight athleticism standpoint. Um, I, I think the concern with that would be whether he has the football knowledge and like that kind of ability to, to make the calls and set up the defense, you know, that that's not, that's always your biggest issue when you lose a linebacker. Like let's say Troy Bound is the guy out there making the calls for the defense. And if he goes down, do you trust Coleman to do that or does keys, you know, kind of fill that linebacker role of calling the defense. Is it Sistrunk who who knows how, what he's doing when he's trying to get the safeties and the defensive line uh, in the spots they need to be? And or you know, or do any of them even do that? Or they all just look at the coaches for different signals? I don't even honestly don't even know. Uh, but you know, just from a straight football player standpoint, what I've seen over the first two weeks is that this guy he's an absolute dude, and yeah, he can absolutely fill that spot. And I think you'll see him start to, you know, kind of accumulate more snaps, especially once you start playing better, more athletic teams. Not that Brown or Keys have been disappointing so far. It's, I mean, it's impossible to tell, but I think at this point, that guy has to be on the field. Oh, yeah, I absolutely think that's been proven the case. And I think that's probably one of the few things we've learned about this defense. And I think it'll get tested, obviously, with just the natural uptick in talent of this opponent a little bit this week. But I think you're probably looking at, Kentucky before you find out a ton about the defensive side of the football with this team because um, I don't know how much you caught of the uh, Clemson Georgia Tech game while you're over in Europe Georgia Tech's defense was pretty good and kept them in that game longer than they should um, Sims is a well, good DJ Ugole sucks so yes, that probably that is, didn't hurt hey the uh there were I'll tell you what I know it was like 35 10 or whatever with that Cade Klubnik, or however you say it, Klubnik. Klubnik came in and played? Oh, yeah. And was electric. He was telling oh, yeah. he almost had, like, the Chad Kelly clapping it up, just psyched the hell out to be in there, marches him right down the field, and then headbutted all ten other dudes as he was coming off the field. And it's like, <laughs> but in all seriousness, it was like, all right, this guy kind of has something to where is the other kid, like, I don't know. Like, I 
that to me could turn into a Kelly Bryant, Trevor Lawrence deal. Um, no, I, I, I expected to, I don't know if we've talked about club Nick, but in that 2020 class, I think that's 2020. Yeah. Uh, or whatever. That was like the, the Walker Howard club Nick maybe it's 21 Ty Simpson's a true freshman. Yeah. That was a 21 class. Yeah. 21 class. Uh, it was the year uh, behind of what um, Ewers was supposed to be. Yeah. So he ended up, Going into that class, no, no, yeah, Klubnik was he Westlake High School, Drew Brees, all those guys. He he was really good. He he's a classic Clemson quarterback. Um, he's going to be a player. He's really talented. I'm interested to see uh, how some of that turns out. But yeah, but like the point being is like I think they'll get tested a little bit, but that offense stinks. And that Kentucky game, it's not crazy to think that turns into game day. I mean, they went down in the swamp and won. You got Ole Miss with a decent preseason ranking. I haven't looked at the slate of games that week, but I mean that's likely two undefeated teams and that's a good club in Kentucky. And I think that's when we'll learn a lot about really this team as a whole. We'll learn a little bit of how they react on the road this week in that kind of sure. environment. Tulsa, from what I've understood, has a pretty decent football team. They've been a better program late, but whatever. Then it kind of gets real starting October 1st. And that's kind of when I think we uh, all thought that would be the case. I don't think anything's else stuck out. The kickers made his kicks and passed all the drug tests. Um <laughs> Outside of that, I mean, look, it really kind of is what it is. We haven't really, you know, one of the, uh, I would say, non-storylines has been the whole Weiss-Kiffin thing, and that's because, like, they've been pretty vanilla on offense. It still looks like pretty similar of an offense. Kiffin has his tentacles all over it. But I do think probably the first time things go bad for this team and they lose a game, in particular if they sputter offensively, you're going to get the whole, well, who's calling plays? Whose offense is this? We'll yeah, who do, we who do we blame? Yeah, exactly. no, that, I'm sure that that'll come. Yeah. Um, and so that uh, yeah. So I'm uh, I'm looking forward to that one. So we'll um, we'll see uh, how that goes. I don't really have much else on the old Miss front. We kind of got caught up there. I'd be remiss if we didn't get your thoughts. Or I would say really just your snickering at Texas A&M. Um, <laughs> that's a tough one. Pretty, it's pretty inexcusable. Um, the the Jimbo thing, it's it's obviously fun to laugh at, but I'm not like I'm not that surprised. I, I don't know what it is about it. I mean, obviously, App State is you know they're a program that's always capable of be of you know punching up and beating teams, and they they probably sh they could have beaten North Carolina. Not that that's like the the same caliber as A and M, but. I mean, Jimbo's offense is, is, is dog shit. And it has been for years. And it's been kind of, you know, they just had so many athletes that they've kind of overcome it, whether it's a receiver or running back or just on defense. They just play a defensive complementary football. But Haynes King isn't very good. And he stuck with him for some reason. And, you know, they had the five-star kid behind him in Weigman, But that guy's a project. I mean, that's a – that was a baseball stud that, you know, turned out to also be a really good quarterback, but he, he's far from a finished product. Um, and I mean, I, I, you've seen some lists out there of, of Jimbo's quarterbacks post Jameis Winston. It is a tough look. It's gotten to a point where you have to really question kind of everything about Jimbo since he's left Florida State and even his ending at Florida State it, it's it, I don't even know what to say about it because you know he's known he knows more football than both of us combined will ever know obviously he'll forget more than we ever know combined uh but it's just he's not adapting he, you know guys like Kirby 
and Nick and you know the best of the best, Dabo and whatever, they just adapt. And Jimbo has wants his offense to look a certain way and be a it just is not working for him. And uh, I mean, they're still obviously incredibly good. I mean, their defenses, I know they kind of, you know, bent a little bit against Appalachian State. They only gave up 17. I mean, they're still incredibly athletic and incredibly talented, but that offense is just, they're going to lose. They're going to go eight and four again. If that They pull that out every single weekend. And it's, it's fun to laugh at. I'm sure it's a, just a dumpster fire on every single message board and, probably in the in the locker room too you know nil i'm sure there's guys out there that are frustrated uh i mean i enjoy it i love it i think the yell leader thing is hilarious i think a and m is the easiest program to laugh at in the country and no one feels bad for him but at some point we have to look at this and be like you know you're not firing him because then your expectations are just out of control to fire him but you're getting to a point where you really have to evaluate you know this entire I don't even know what what exactly this entire uh, experiment, this whole just throw money at everything and see if it works experiment because it's just clearly not working for them. Yeah, I uh, it really it, I mean it's kind of an outdated thing. It's like did he peak in 2012 and just kind of refuse to adapt? Um, so I, yeah, I, I mean because they, they've never accomplished anything. That entire that program has never won ever. But now they've been talked about, and you know, somewhat deservedly so for the, for the amount of talent they've accumulated, not just through the NIL era, but he's recruited well since he's gotten there, and that that's just a fact. I mean, they've been recruiting really good athletes since he's gotten A and M, and they've accomplished absolutely nothing. Yet they are the most talked, maybe the most talked about program in the SEC. Truly, I mean, if you really, I mean, Bama is just kind of fatigued at this point. Georgia, they're they're catching on to the Bama. Uh, pretty quickly and A&M's just been the team that everyone's wanted to know about I honestly feel like the reaction has been relatively tame for me they're kind of like yeah you know we really like this team but this is like just it is what it is I mean they just have not been able to ever prove it yet the benefit of the doubt is just still there because of how much talent they at least should have on the field yeah absolutely and it's it's um and what a win for App State there as well, do you think the SEC feels any more wide open, or do you think that was a one-off with Alabama? I think the defensive stuff with all the penalties and the undisciplined play there probably was, but it doesn't change the fact that the uh, offensive line was tough to watch and that re- those receivers don't really get separation. Do you think the West is more wide open at all? Because, honest to God, if you told me after two weeks, and I know I'm giving you an impossible ask as you return from Europe here – but like Arkansas has been the most solid team that I've seen so yeah. far. Hey, look, it'll probably end up as Alabama being, you know, winning the West again, and it is what it is. But they looked human in a way that I haven't seen them in a while um, against Alabama. Or excuse me, against yeah. Texas. Yeah, I mean, I I get that. I will I will not be the one to doubt Saban and Alabama personally. Um, I, I think this is so. I I bet Texas plus twenty one and a half or whatever pretty heavily um not because i thought they were going to win the game because when i was i didn't even really i have really not been able to watch too much of that um but that was the biggest game that texas has had in that program since maybe the national championship where colt mccoy got hurt and i mean they were going to throw the entire kitchen sink those players were going to play their absolute asses off 
I mean, it was just going to be the, the biggest game, it, Ole Miss 2014-esque. I mean, it was just going to be electric and crowded. And I think Bama, you know, was semi-rattled by that. And, I, I mean, I'm a huge Quinn Ewers believer, and, you know, there's a real possibility if he had not gotten hurt in that game that Texas wins, and, you know, maybe to like a semi-comfortable level. Um, however, they didn't win. And Bama came out and – on top, and I think that was probably the exact wake-up call they needed, a close win against a team that, yeah, I know people make Texas jokes, but I really think Sark is a really good coach, and they have some real players on that team, more than I think people gave them credit for because they usually like to joke about them, you know, not being back or whatever. So I think it was really a perfect formula for Alabama to figure out some of their weaknesses playing an incredibly hostile road game so, no, I'm not going to doubt them. I, I do think they have flaws that maybe people overlooked because of Bryce Young and Will Anderson. Uh, I think specifically the offensive line and the receivers are just not at the usual level of Alabama. But that's not saying too much because they've had like six all pros since their last two years of starting receivers. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't – I mean, a and I, I don't see A&M going into Tuscaloosa and beating them. Um, LSU looks pretty shitty so far. Uh, so I don't think they're going to go to Baton Rouge and lose that game. I, no, I don't think anything has changed. If anything, Georgia now looks like the national title favorite instead of Alabama. Yeah, I would have to agree with uh, that one as well. Um, I mean, and the whole they've reached that level to where it's like, all right, I don't really want to hear much more about what they lost off of last year's team because they just kind of reload and reload and reload. And I hope we don't get Georgia Alabama again, but it may end up uh, looking like it. But hey, Alabama has to go to Vanderbilt. They have to go to Ole Miss. Um, yeah. You never know, type of thing. Um, you never know. You absolutely never know. I just, I, I'll, I'll believe a, they lose two games when they do it. Absolutely, and that'll bring us to the. Uh, we'll kind of see how this plays out over the next couple of weeks as Ole Miss kind of dives into SEC play. But that'll bring us to the fastest growing segment on American soil. It's been a while. It's back. I got some national team comments from Borky, but I. Uh, I, we haven't gotten an EPL update, but we got to start with the game that you attended pitch side. It looked like, were you just down there for the game or those are your seats? That looked pretty sick. So it's kind of confusing. We went to, we kind of mentioned it on the previous podcast. We got a little screwed with our Scocker scheduling because the champions league and stuff, they mixed around the games we thought we were going to go to. So we ended up at Espanol versus Sevilla, which is like a La Liga Spanish league game. Uh, um, I explained it to some people like, you know, Barcelona is obviously the team in Barcelona. So Espanol would be like if you went to Chicago and you didn't go to a Cubs game, you went to a White Sox game instead. <laughs> so that's where we were at. And I bought tickets. So Europe's a very different with how they do sporting events. And I'm not overly familiar with it, but you don't there's not like Ticketmaster or StubHub over there. They don't do scalping. It's like a really big deal. Um, in Europe, so or secondary marketing tickets, really. Uh, so you have to like go on like the actual official website of the team and buy tickets, um, if you want to get them, or you have to go through like a ticket vendor, not but not a StubHub or Ticketmaster, like a professional, you know, ticket vendor. And uh, so I bought these tickets, they were like 70 euros a piece, and it turns out that we actually bought club tickets. 
but this the when you get to the stadium, the, the sections are so screwed up that we actually ended up on the first row. And we talked to these two people in Spanish and they just didn't really give a shit that we were sitting there and there were seats available. So we just sat there <laughs> and we ended up oh. staying there for the entire game, uh, which was awesome. Um, fortunately, my, I mean, I, you know, took Spanish in high school and college and can half-assly get by. Fortunately, my fiance lived in Madrid for six months and she is, you know, she's not fluent either, but she can absolutely hold conversations and tell people that, Hey, we don't know where our seats are. We think you're here. Let us sit here, please. Uh, so we did. And it was, it was awesome. It was, it was a great game. Uh, it was actually three, two, the other team won four first half goals, three red cards. It was like a dream <laughs> one game in Spain uh, deal. It was a ton of fun. Now, is Barcelona or Madrid the one with all the financial issues? Barcelona is the one with all the financial issues. What was the scuttlebutt? Went and saw the that? stadium. Yep, uh, the, I learned nothing tickets? about that. <laughs> no, well, we didn't go. Like I said, we went to the Espanol. So, that, no issues there financially, except for they clearly hate their owner because they're getting their ass kicked. And you saw them all pointing to the owner's box and flipping them off and throwing shit. So, it, it was what you would expect from a semi-middling team over there in Europe. Okay, interesting. Ah. Yeah, it was cool. It, it was really, really cool. We had, we had a blast. And, uh, you know, we, we got to see some cool players. That, you know, Sevilla, they're a Champions League team. So they they had played uh, a Champions League game on that Wednesday, and they came back, and they had some players who I knew they were. Uh, but that was like – I didn't know anybody on the Espanol team, literally no one. Uh, but – it, it was cool to see them, and they ended up winning. So that, it was it was a lot of fun, very exciting. Bringing it back over to uh, Great Britain, we uh we have Arsenal that's atop the Premier League by a point. Um, I get that it's still very early in the season. Man City, Tottenham, and then Brighton is actually in the fourth spot with thirteen points. Man United, as as drastically of a terrible season, it seems like it was for the first part, is actually sitting there. In fifth, it sounds like they're on the up and up. What's kind of been going on in the EPL? Well, to be honest, nothing. Uh, once Queen Elizabeth died, they've they've like suspended games for like two weeks. I'm not sure that anything. Yeah, has what's the deal with since that? we since we talked? Uh, I do. I don't know. I don't I know. It. I it don't. I don't know how to explain it. They have. They have like lacking of police enforcement, so they like just cancel these games. But some of these teams are still playing Champions League games, like they like Liverpool played today, and um, I know some are playing tomorrow. It's really weird. Like I don't understand why they canceled them. And uh, I mean, I guess the Queen dying is a pretty big deal, but I feel like that wouldn't be you know cancel every single sporting event in the country. It's a- or whatever. I'm not going to go full anti-monarchy because I get it. I'm not from there. I don't get it. But just like she's not. Uh, I will. I'm tired of it. Natural causes. <laughs> I just don't understand it. I don't even know if I'm tired of it. I just don't understand it. They, they canceled the European the European tours signature event. Um, canceled the EPL games because this old lady passed away. And I get she's not just some old lady. I don't get it. So there has been no update. I didn't even think about that. The, the queen screwing up soccer corner. No, never mind. I am tired of the, the monarchy. They just ruined this. <laughs> I would say the response to her death was at least semi eye-opening to me because I always kind of find the royal family fascinating. And 
you know, I actually loved the show, The Crown. So, like, when I saw she passed, I was like, oh, like, yeah, that stinks. Uh, that is a very rare opinion <laughs> amongst anybody if you if you were on Twitter the day it happened. Uh, not a lot of love lost for the monarchy over there in England. From those in America, from those in England, from those especially in Ireland, uh, a lot of uh, people dancing on the graves of, of Queen Elizabeth, if you did not notice on that day. <laughs> I, the, yeah, I got to read up more on this. Basically, I just gathered it sour grapes from the 1700s. I really just don't understand it. But, um, you know, we've got this soccer corner thing taken off. You went on a scouting trip. If we go monarchy corner next, maybe that could be our uh, next video. <laughs> On the podcast, I'm not sure if I, I'm not sure if I've got that uh, covered yet, but you know, we can do what we can. He is a well-traveled Weldon Rodenberg. Um, I appreciate the time as always, my man. Good to have you back in the co-host seat, and uh, we'll talk with you on Sunday. All right, see you, man. All right, that is our show. If you made it to the end, I really appreciate you making this podcast a part of your day. We'll have another podcast for you tomorrow, a bonus pod that includes Nick Broker and a Georgia Tech preview from uh, one of their reporters and writers, or I should say a reporter and writer that covers Georgia Tech. And then we'll be back with Greg's picks on Friday, probably combined with a Buchanan segment as well. So big week coming up. Good podcast week. Looking forward to it. Thanks, as always, for listening. Y'all have a uh, great day, night, afternoon, whenever it is you're listening to this, and we'll be back tomorrow.